Hello, and welcome back to Deep Lorable, a podcast where a couple of friends dredge the internet for the deepest lore. I remember the intro. It hasn't been two weeks since we recorded. Uh, this week's topic is strange animal facts, which sounds like a weird topic. Billy, do you actually have a way to explain this one? I feel like it's self-explanatory. Uh, so past me for the description in my notes, definitely didn't just put weird animal facts and then in parentheses, how do I describe this? I don't know, improvise. <laughs> well done, past Billy. Make it up as you go, I guess. So I guess for weird animal facts, just a little small bit of information that's not widely known about animals that we find either hilarious or plain odd or even thought provoking. Yeah, it's uh, like, you know, animals. I'm assuming you've seen some animals. There are some weird animals out there and there are some weird uh, things that animals do or don't do sometimes. I've got some things. What kind of what kind of uh, paths did you take this, Billy? Because for me, at least the main areas that I found like just the most entertaining and interesting facts were in uh, the areas of self-defense. So I I went with more like just tiny little facts that are oddball facts. Mm hmm. So this is going to be Billy's fun time. Fun this this entire episode is Billy's fun. F- the podcast in the podcast. The podcast within the podcast. But this time it's the whole podcast. I've taken over. Fun fact. We need another F for there. Billy's fun frenzy facts. No fun fact frenzy. Fun fact frenzy. There. Fun fact frenzy. Cor- no fun corner. <laughs> we'll keep workshopping it. We'll get there eventually. <laughs> Starting us off, I I didn't know the these two facts. I'm kind of bundling them together because they're the they're the same thing, just yeah, changed up naturally. So a group of ferrets is a business. That's wonderful. <laughs> what? And yeah, a group of ferrets is apparently called a business. A business of ferret. What are they doing? What are they selling? I don't, I don't know. A group of owls, however, is apparently called a parliament. Now, that one I did actually know, and that always seemed so on point for owls. It's very on brand. A business of ferrets, though, that's... A business of ferrets. (laughs) That's something entirely different. A business of ferrets. I mean, everyone knows about the murder of crows, naturally. Yeah, the murder of crows. Isn't, isn't like, a group of rabbits called a fluffle or something? Or is that that apocryphal? A fluffle of rabbits. It says that on rabbit.org. That must be true. I found this this little odd fact by mm-hmm. accident. And it's the mental image is um, is adorable, but the implications are horrendous, are awful. So sea otters have been noted using rocks to break open the armor of snails and other creatures. Yes. And sea otters usually have their own favorite special rock that they like to keep yes. with them, which makes me very happy. They also will, if they have a partner, will hold hands to prevent them from floating away from each other. Oh my goodness, otters are just precious. Otters little. are adorable. I love them. You gotta, you gotta wonder, like, what their thought process behind that is. It just, is it just instinct, or is there like a no? That's my friend. Like they don't have words in their head, Billy. They don't speak I, in animals. Don't think in words. I imagine. Animals don't think in words. They just have a desire and then they do the thing. So 
I don't I don't know much about animals. Unfortunately, never got around to actually achieving one of my life's goals, which was to follow in my grandfather's footsteps of being a veterinarian. Oh, but from what I can deduce and hypothesize, mm-hmm. I imagine it's sort of the if there's two of us, we can survey an area for predators a little bit better. Yes, but they do not have the words to think that. Maybe it was just something that nat- nat- naturally happened. I mean, yeah, it's something that naturally happened. They're literally, they are nature. No, like, they're animals. There was no rhyme or reason. They just realized that holding hands prevents them from floating away. Yeah. And being strapped, being alone. Uh, yeah, I think that, like, that's fair. That is fair and accurate. I just, the thought process that went into making that decision. Yeah. Is baffling. I found, this is another one of those facts that I, I found by accident. Mm-hmm. And it made me kind of sad. There, at one point, existed on Earth a now extinct colossal penguin, which stood 2.3 meters tall. Oh, shoot. And what's that in freedom units? Um, how tall is LeBron, Dr- LeBron James? LeBron James? Oh, good that heavens. tall. 2.3 meters is roughly seven and a half feet tall. Oh, boy. That's a yeah. big penguin. Apparently, we discovered bones in the Arctic of a penguin that size. Oh, no, that's too big. Too many hooves. That that terrified me. Good night. I mean, from what I know about dinosaurs, it's kind of on brand because dinosaurs were kind of massive. Yeah. I could definitely see there being a colossal penguin. No, I can see it. Oh, just good. That's too big. I do not like this giant penguin. A seven foot tall. It's a seven he gives, and a half a, he gives the Batman <laughs> enemy a run for his money. You're not wrong. Animals are just scary, though. Like, as a general statement, yeah. animals are terrifying. So there are sea cucumbers, right? They're living creatures. They're not vegetables. Yeah. They're just called sea cucumbers. Some of them, a couple different species, from what I could tell, have a very interesting sort of self-defense mechanism. Oh. Um, They eject their organs through their butt. yeah they just rocket themselves away on their small intestine or whatever they don't have i don't think they have exactly an intestinal tract they're sea cucumbers they have a very strange anatomy but they just eject yeah organs out their rear to rocket themselves away poison their enemies create a smoke cloud i guess and then they just regrow them later because because sea cucumbers are dumb and terrifying oh they're uh, that being said, a much less terrifying defense mechanism and a much, much more hilarious one is from the boxer crabs. Oh, do you know what the boxer crabs do, Billy? Judging by the name, I assume they I would say throw hands, but I, I throw claws. Yeah, throw talons. I don't know. They 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 will punch their enemies. But what's really interesting is the their choice in boxing gloves. Oh, because they do equip boxing gloves. They equip weapons in the form of sea anemones. <laughs> they will just pick up sea anemones and go wailing on other creatures with them. Apparently the sea anemones are cool with it because, you know, they're already spiky and that's kind of their yeah. how they function. And they get to move around. So, you know, instead of being stuck in one place. So it works out. I just think it's hilarious that this crab picks up somebody and just punches someone else with them speaking of aqua uh, aqua marine wildlife aquatic life 
Aquatic Life. There Sorry. you go. No, you're you're also right. The and I'll have to fact check this later. Apparently, some mantis shrimp have we have taken we've used a speedometer on their claw. Mm. Apparently, their claw can accelerate as quickly as a twenty-two caliber bullet. Yeah, it's called the pistol shrimp, and these things. Oh, these guys are fun. I, as someone who's fired a twenty-two caliber rifle before, mm-hmm. that's terrifying. <laughs> their claw snaps so, shut so fast that when they're underwater, it creates an actual cavitation bubble. Which, oh. <laughs> when the cavit when a cavitation bubble snaps closed, like you you get it. It's like a their yeah. claw snaps shut. It creates a vacuum. It creates a little opening in the water. The water then comes crashing back in on itself. This collapse generates heat in excess of 7,000 degrees Celsius. For frame of reference, the surface of the sun is about 5,500 degrees Celsius. These things are about the size of the palm of your hand, these little pistol shrimp. The only reason this thing doesn't vaporize a quarter of the ocean whenever it decides to get f- to fight something is mostly just because its claw is tiny enough <laughs> that it doesn't matter. The The shockwave generated by this claw snapping shut is powerful enough to kill small fish outright. Just the shockwave. Pistol shrimp are terrifying, I man. love pistol shrimp. Now, pistol shrimp are a little better known just because of how absolutely bonkers they are. But yeah. oh my goodness, these things are great. And that's not even to talk about their eyes. My cat has just reminded me that I have a couple cat facts. Oh, yes. Good. Cats have been hanging around us for thousands of years. Yeah. Guinness World Records reports we've been domesticating them for about 9,500 years. Nice. The other fact that I have about cats is researchers apparently discovered the cats can distinguish their own name. They just choose not to. This is very on brand. They don't necessarily feel obligated to respond. And so they'll just... So they know you're talking to them. Also, another domestic pet fact. In fact, the oldest known breed of domesticated dog goes all the way back to 329 BC. 329. I've got your cat back. 329 BC. What is that? That is 329 BC. uh, The Macedonian Empire. We're talking about Alexander the Great. And uh, honestly, most of this stuff is about Alexander the Great. Back then... Oh, God. Back then, we only had, like, what? we Back then, there were only a handful of domesticated dogs, breed-wise. Uh, there are officially, roughly, 360 officially recognized dog breeds. I was going to say, we have a, a lot now. Yes. But back then, there were probably only a couple, because most dog breeds we have now were, were made via breeding two different types of dogs. Right. That's actually less than I expected there to be. That's strange. I think my favorite breed of dog is the the mix between a corgi and a husky. It's a husky, but like the body size of a corgi. It's just a tiny. It's husky. a tiny husky. It's just a it's just a very squat little husky. I love them because they have all, they have all the attributes of a husky, but the size of a corgi. And I have a soft spot for for small dogs. You know, you mentioned uh, the the corgi husky mix having the traits of a corgi and a husky. And it got me thinking about flipping. Is it is it pugs that have the the breathing issues? I think it's pugs. Um, Which one's got the yeah. squashed face? My sister would kill me for not knowing this one immediately. Pugs. 
pugs have pugs are the ones with the with this yes with the breathing flat issues. Face. Right, but the, my point is these these pugs have been you know they, that it, they they have a hard time breathing. They have some some issues, and that is you know about about three to four car lengths to the side of the topic that I'm trying to segue to, but um, <laughs> I'm making the leap anyway, because because there are salamanders, right? And there are lungless salamanders. Uh, I.e. salamanders that naturally do not have lungs. They breathe through their skin. I think I actually have, I think I've actually heard about these salamanders at one point. Yeah, what what was interesting to me is that this isn't just like one kind of salamander. Yeah, there's like there's there are several different species of lungless salamanders. But what I what I what I just kind of loved like absolutely adored about these is how they smell because you know they don't breathe they don't have a nose they can't like inhale sense so they just kind of touch their snout to things (laughs) there are capillaries there are grooves on their snout that move odor particles uh to sort of sensory places to make them like to get them to be able to smell things but they have to just kind of bonk their snout on things that they want to smell. And it makes me happy because it's just it's there's just these tiny little lizards that have to run around bumping into things to figure out what they are and if they can eat them. All in all, it's not a great way of smelling things. You know, there's some advantage to being able to do some long range smelling thinking about fire. But, you know, salamanders don't have to care too much about being burnt alive. Probably say they just keep bonking, keep keep putting their nose and on stuff until they find something that smells edible. Yeah, uh, the less one less uh, adorable reptile is the uh, Iberian ribbed newt. Oh, yeah. The Iberian ribbed newt cho- chooses to defend itself by uh, pushing a defensive lineup of ribs through its skin when needed. Oh, poisoned ribs. Hmm. It's the it's it's they're that one character from Naruto. Oh, shoot. They are that one Naruto character that uses their their bones as weapons. Yeah. Got to be honest. I did not like that. (laughs) No, that was probably my least favorite. He's definitely he's definitely a little he's a little extra. Not quite as extra as the hairy frog, though, who does break its toes and pushes the shard of bone through its skin to use as makeshift claws. Like at least this Naruto character, that's his whole thing. Yeah. I'm to be fair, the hairy frog is got a system for it too, but it's not like anime where the frog can just keep growing bones out of everywhere. Does it like after it uses the makeshift claws, is that is that just it for those hands? No, so it's got like basically if you can picture look at your finger. You see how you've got like the joints there? Yeah. So near the tip of its finger, it has like an extra little piece of bone. Okay. And when it needs to, it's like, have you ever built a model kit with like pre-done sheets of plastic? Yeah. You know how they have those little tabs that have the parts yeah. on them? So the this frog, the hairy frog's bone, like their toes are kind of like that. Like the big ones, the okay. big toes. And so they snap that part there so they can actually push the shard of bone out of their skin, like off that little tip huh. and, you know, stab people. Yeah. 
And then once they're done with it, scientists aren't super great at identifying. Like, there's not a ton of research that's gone into these two critters. Actually, the Iberian ribbed newt also were like, we're not sure if the Iberian ribbed newt is supposed to be like that or if it's just kind of a, like, its tail fault. Like, you know how there are those lizards that they their tail can just pop off? Yeah, their tail just pops off and then they right. slowly grow, grow a new one. Yeah, they eventually grow a new, one, a new one, but it's not really like a thing that they want to do. Yeah. We're not actually sure if the Iberian ribbed newt is cool or not with its ribs being pushed out of its skin. That might, it's definitely actually coming through the skin like Wolverine style, but it seems to also heal up really well and the ribs don't, they're not breaking anything to do it. The hairy frog, on the other hand, is definitely yeah, breaking to... something to do this, which all things considered is not ideal. I'd imagine it's its a frog, so they like to, as far as I'm aware of frogs, they like, they're territorial in a way they definitely seem that way which is weird because frogs i i do not think of frogs as predatory creatures and yeah. territorial creatures i usually think of as predators although i'm thinking about that now i'm thinking about hippos and i don't think hippos are technically private predators but they do kill people like a lot of people i no, i don't think they're predators i think they're just super territorial but i imagine that frog after it has to defend itself if the attacker is if like if the combat is over, I imagine it just probably finds somewhere to hide until its hands or fingers like heal up. Maybe. I don't know. Find somewhere where it can get access to flies and stuff that are flying around. Now that's got me thinking about the frog that just flipping lets itself get frozen during the winter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to stop it from to stop like. All yeah, because it's the winter. So it's basically function. it's. Yeah. Just, yeah, it's doing its thing and it generates something equivalent to antifreeze, more or less. Freezes itself over. And then when it when the sun comes out, it thaws it. And then its body just basically restarts itself. Those are funky little frogs. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just back to, you know, the it's back to what we were saying about like animals, though. Animals are just crazy. Yeah. Animals are just doing what they think is natural and will help them survive. I've been I've been watching recently. I've been on like a kick of watching clips of animals helping other animals or animals helping humans Mm -hmm. like um there was um at one of the i don't remember where this was but at a zoo a little boy fell into the monkey enclosure or the gorilla enclosure and this giant uh, female gorilla kind of shooed all the other gorillas away to keep him from being harmed and then just sat next to him and kept everything away from him until the staff could arrive to retrieve him. See, I love stories like that. We get a lot of stories about uh, flipping animals attacking humans. Yeah, I think my favorite one was a guy. A guy was in he was in Africa, like wandering around and needed to like he needed to lay down in the shade because he was kind of feeling he was get he was he wasn't feeling great because of the heat. Mm-hmm. And it was a particularly hot day and a female, I think it was, it was a, I think it was a leopard just came walking up to him and then just plopped down next to him and he just reached over and started petting it and it let him. That's dangerous. It was just kind of like, I, it's warm. It's too hot shade. for this. <laughs> Listen, I'm not going to mess with you if you don't mess with me. It is too hot to deal with any. If I recall correctly, the story continues like the, eventually the, the lion, the, female leopard walked away and the guy i guess at some point just laying there eventually just passed out oh no he woke up to that lioness laying like just curled up next to him and like laying on basically on him (laughs) what What? what's cooking dying anyway make sure he dies of heat stroke 
and I'm just I'm I'm I was watching it and I'm like, what is that? What is that giant cat thinking? <laughs> is it just it, like did it look at the human and go? It fell. The human fell asleep. Huh. You know, I've got a feeling tired too. <laughs> There's also a uh, there was a, a group of guys had kidnapped a a child. Okay. Well, all right. Carry on. It's immediately got my ire. So they're they were going through the wilderness and the mighty jungle. A a lion and a lioness saw them. Oh, oh came no! Running over, scared the two guys away, and then just sat down next to the girl and protected the girl until her parents came to get her. Gizmo, Gizmo, I understand you want to contribute, but <laughs> Gizmo, no, oh, that is wild though. I have no idea why. Like why? What drove those animals to do that thing? I don't know. Like, it's even got people who live in Africa and maintain those animals. Mm -hmm. They're even baffled. Because it doesn't, like, the gorilla thing, that makes sense, right? So, yeah. so you, like, you, there, the, there is an obvious, easy-to-follow chain of events, and gorillas are also a lot like, like, they are, they're primates. They're a lot like us. Yeah. So it makes perfect sense that, you know, the one mother gorilla would see a kid fall in and understand that, you know, that's one of the other things and the other things are going to come in to get to collect the child. That's one of the children of the other things. It's a small one. Looks like it looks like a gorilla child is just less hairy. It looks like the other thing. Yeah. And so it would make sense that this mother gorilla would then kind of go in and, and ward off the others and kind of keep the child from getting into any yeah, other keep the child from from getting into trouble until the other things can come and collect it like that makes sense this whole lion situation though I the thing that I could think of my father has started mowing <laughs> the lawn the only thing that I can really think of in regards to the lion is maybe the lions noticed the kid was distressed and was able to put two and two together to realize that maybe those guys aren't. Maybe they like the kid was fighting the guys, and the, the lions were like, "Wait a minute, maybe that small, maybe that small thing is not part of their pack or their pride," and then ran over to help. Maybe that, I mean that that kind of tracks a little bit. Like the if the little ones in distress and fighting the big ones, it's just it's a little it's a it it seems a little strange to me that these. If a dog did that, I would believe it 100%. Because dogs dogs are very sensitive towards human emotion. And admittedly, dogs can... Do some dogs are very intelligent. Yeah, maybe then. But the difference between dogs and some wild lions is that, like, dogs are used to people. Dogs are yeah. around humans all the time. So a situation like that seems a lot less strange, I think, because... Well, A, probably because we just hear about it a lot more than we would hear about a situation like like this thing with the lions. And B, a dog can a dog's been around humans enough to kind of recognize this is what distress looks like. Yeah. Not to mention, I don't know a ton about cats, but from what my sister kind of talks about with dogs and stuff, their their body language is different, but it's a lot of the same language that we use. Like, it is a lot of the same. They seem to feel very similarly to us. A small fact that I know about cats that to this day, like every time my cat meows at me, I remember this fact and it makes a lot of sense. The reason cats meow at us and less at each other is because the, the meowing is their way of trying to imitate a child crying. And so they know 
human will respond to crying child. Therefore, I will try to sound like that to get their attention. Uh, I have heard that. I've also heard that it's we're bad at reading cats body language. Yeah, it is also kind of it. And so they're kind of like cats are like, hey, yeah, (laughs) just screaming hey at us. Basically, I've also the the cats cats meowing, though. Animal behavior is such a difficult thing to study because we have no way of really identifying what's what the closest we got was Coco the gorilla and her learning sign language. The gorilla that could almost like, what was it? 90% fluently communicate in English. Yeah. Or well, in sign language, like, you know, blamed the cat nearby cat for breaking a sink at one point and, you know, stuff like that. (laughs) But that's kind of the closest we can, we've really been able to get with communicating properly with animals. Yeah. So it's really hard to actually know what an animal's trying to communicate or how it's feeling or what it can see because just there's this, that barrier there. And I feel like there's a lot of theories about cats and not a ton of answers. If that I makes imagine sense. that does make sense. I imagine that the the different pitches are kind of so like a higher pitched meow is them trying they're them in distress and trying to get your attention. Whereas like a standard pitch would just be like, hey, I am trying to get I'm trying to talk to you. Yeah, but that's still speculation is my point, because if also yeah. like as far as cats meows go, I've also heard that cats meow to communicate with their kittens. I now I don't really have much experience with kittens. Mm-hmm. The the what little experience I have was way back actually when my cat was a kitten, because when she when her mother was getting ready to have the litter, we actually had her at my at my house, and we we woke up one morning and just discovered this litter of cats with her. Mm-hmm. And from what I remember, there wasn't really any meowing aside from the mother cat trying to get us our attention to get us to get her food. Mm-hmm. But I was also, you know, at school, and then I'd come back. And- yeah, I gotcha. Getting us back on track though to the actual topic for the uh, for this episode. Yeah. So. In 2011, a study was published in the journal, the journal Science. Past me decided to just not elaborate on that. <laughs> thank, thank you, me. Anyways, we scientists or researchers found that pigeons are able to do math at the same level of monkeys as monkeys. No. So the pigeons were given, were asked to compare nine images, each containing a, no, a different number of objects. And the researchers found that they were able to rank the images in order of how many objects were the picture contained. Someone was paid a lot of money to ask pigeons to do math. And the pigeons were able to. So they say. I, hmm. Man, I wish we could talk to animals. Because there is. So, so there's a long, 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 long time ago. There was a horse. That was good at counting and good at math. Clever Hans is, is, is was this horse, right? And and it, it was this this great is basically this great act where this person would uh, I'm I'm getting William von Orsten, but that may be apocryphal. I haven't done quite enough research to get all those names right. But the point is, the horse's owner would ask the horse, "Okay, what is three plus two? And the horse would tap his hoof five times. Huh. And there were some limitations, but this horse could 
typically do the math pretty accurately. Eventually, though, we they finally figured out how this horse was able to do this, and it was not by doing math, but by paying attention to what the humans were doing. When the horse got to the correct number, he was just noticing enough things about the humans to know, oh, I can stop now. Okay. So he was reading the people more than doing any kind of math. And oh, it opened that, just that, that concept opens up such a difficult stance, a difficult interpretation, a difficult, yeah. opens up a lot of difficulties with examining animals and what animals are capable of thinking and doing because it's it's so hard there's a there's a concept in quantum physics that states that things behave differently when observed than they do when not observed and i'm i'm vastly oversimplifying and paraphrasing a very complicated quantum entanglement thingamajig but the point stands on a lot of issues like that. Animals will behave differently when observed, when they know they're being observed, than they do when they're not. And that's why there's such a, like, it's so important when when scientists are researching certain animals out in the wild that, you know, they they have absolutely zero contact with the animals. The animals can't even know that they're being watched. Because if the animals do they're not going to behave quite the same way that they usually do or they're supposed yeah. to or they naturally do. So it cre- just it creates this situation where it's like, okay, we've got these pigeons. These pigeons are correctly ranking these photographs in order of value. Are the pigeons doing math or are the pigeons noticing that we're, you know, they get more rewards, they get more food when they correctly identify which thing ha- which picture has more stuff on it. And at that point, is that math? Because that sounds like math to me, but it's not like they're not quantifying anything. They're just, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I get what you're saying. There are two, there are two distinct sides to this sort of philosophic debate. And it's, it is a, are these pigeons doing math or are they just reacting to the people around them? But isn't math just at, at its bare bones basics, just ranking something in order of what is more. So yeah, they're kind of actually doing math, even if they're just reacting to the rewards that they're getting from the human researchers. What is life? <laughs> what is any of this? So I have, I have one more thing. Yes. Sorry. I'm, it's a, this is exactly the kind of tangent that we're supposed to go on in episodes like this, but that was a tangent. I have one more thing, and I saved this for last intentionally because I think it's the best. Have you ever heard of the Manhattan ants? No, but I'm terrified. So, if you're ever in the area of the Broadway Midians, the Midians in uh, at 63rd and 76th Streets, hold on a second. In New York, did City, you say Ma- Manhattan ants or Mad Hat ants? Manhattan ants, as in like Manhattan. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, if if you're ever in the area of the Broadway medians at 63rd and the 76th streets in New York City, if you pay attention to the ground, you might spot the rare species. You might spot a rare, some rare ants, which have been dubbed the Manhattan ants. Okay. As they only live in that little area. They look like a relative to the cornfield ant, 
but it looks like it's from Europe. But the problem there is they can't act. We can't actually match it up to any of the European species of ant. So they're just. So they're all just kind of their own localized species. There's just new ants of ant. Where they come from? We don't know. <laughs> Who dropped some ants? That actually, I mean, a hypothesis, but isn't Manhattan? I'm wondering. So, how long have we known about these ants? Do you know? They we discovered the the isolated ant variety in 2012. Okay, so we discovered them in 2012. That doesn't necessarily mean they've been there that long, but okay. Yeah, because I wonder if I I wonder if way back in like when we were building the Empire State Building, kind of way back, if people coming over from Europe brought some European ants and they not intentionally, but like just on their yeah. clothes. Or on like a cargo ship, brought ants with them, a small ant population, and like so small that it's ants, no one noticed. And then as these people moved in, these ants got, you know, knocked off and onto the floor and onto the ground and just got into Manhattan. And then slowly over time have been doing their thing. They just didn't die out, they just kind of evolved differently. Not even necessarily evolved, they just continued to intermingle with the ant population that was there, and for whatever reason didn't, their their genes or whatever didn't uh, get dominated by the ant populations that are already in Manhattan, and instead, these, this little crew, this little pod of the weird European ants started just growing. And so over time, over the next, you know, 100 years or so, I don't remember when we built the Empire State Building, don't judge me, if they finally became a population big enough that humans noticed them. That that could very well be the case. I just don't know how we would establish whether or not that that is true. I have my hypothesis, but developing an experiment to test it. Because that would, that would, that would create a European looking ant that isn't European. Like you can't match back to in theory. That theory would make sense considering Robert Dunn, the biology professor at Northern Carolina state university, when he discovered these commented saying it looks like a relative to the corn cornfield ant, but also looks like it's from Europe. It could very, could be just a cross between cornfield ants and a local ant or a population of ant over in Europe. And we the reason we can't match it up to a different to a European species of ant is because it's not it's not that anymore. It's not that anymore. It's this mix between the two. I I saved that specifically for last because I felt like it was the most interesting. It is pretty wild that there's just a random crew of ants. I also really enjoy the fact that we decided to name them Manhattan ant. Yeah, scientists are universally all nerds. And I can say this being a, a staunch nerd myself, but you know, we've got like proteins in the human body named after Pokemon. We've got... Didn't we name something recently after a Star Wars character? I feel like scientists named something recently after like a, like a star or something after a Star Wars character. pikachu That is the Matrix... pikachu uh, This yes. is a protein in the human body named Pikachu... Named after Pikachu, more specifically. Oh, news news outlets had a field day with, with that. Oh. Oh. And now we have the cat back to sing us Smiley. off of this episode. My cat is 
is being very noisy today. Billy, do you have any other uh, anything else to add before we close up shop? I do not. Okay. Well, uh, then in that case, thank you all for listening. Um, follow us on Twitter uh, for updates and nope. Follow us on Twitter for updates at Deplorable. Uh, you can also submit topic suggestions and requests both to our Twitter page at Deplorable. You can just add us on Twitter or alternatively, you can submit it through the Gmail, uh, which is deplorablecontact at gmail.com. Got to commit to the bit, Billy, if you want to say it at the same time that I do. <laughs> commit to the bit. You just, you, you keep forgetting. And so I, I do impressed. keep forgetting somehow, despite the fact that I say this every, every time. Oh, but also yeah. if you have any fun animal facts, drop those. Yes. In, in Twitter. Tell us the ones that we missed. Yes. Talk with us on Twitter. We would love to hear from you. I would love to know more animal facts. We will respond. Just don't, just not the ones we know there's fungus that makes zombie ants. We don't need to learn about those. I'm good. Yeah, don't. And just not spiders, please. I know there are some really cool spiders out there. If I wanted to not sleep at night, I would play a horror game. Please do not send us anything about spiders. No. But anyway. So. That's that. Thank you all for listening. Uh, I'm Michael Bastine. And I'm Billy Staples. And you will hear from us next time. Bye. Trying to get. We also have Gizmo sending him sending a goodbye.